Welcome, welcome, welcome to the very first live streamed edition of our new segment that we are putting together called The Ballot Box. Jennifer Sanford and I will be sitting down for the next four weeks to talk about the biggest political news stories of the week, but also making some predictions, but also just shooting the stuff with each other about politics in today's age. Jennifer Sanford, thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it once again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I can't believe I agreed to do this live. Um, I liked your comparison before uh, earlier this morning of Wayne and Garth. So uh, party on, Jennifer. <laughs> yeah, party on, Chris. <laughs> We have a lot to digest over the last week. There have been uh, news story after news story in the political realm of Canada. The biggest one, I think, would be, and because you are the host of the Conservative Like Me podcast, I wanted to lead off on this. The Conservatives are in disarray, not only federally, but here in Alberta. Uh, earlier this week, uh, the federal leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Aaron O'Toole, came to Alberta. Usually that is not seen. What was your uh, initial reaction before we play the video of Aaron O'Toole making a stop in Alberta? Yeah, so, it, I mean, it's not just Aaron O'Toole making a stop in Alberta. It's also Stephen Harper making a stop in Alberta. I mean, clearly there's some concern there about the state of conservatism in this in this province and the connection between dysfunction provincially and a potential uh, dysfunctional vote um, federally. And I do think it was smart for Aaron O'Toole to, to make a stop. That said, how he chose to make a stop and the let's say creative assets that accompanied that stop, um, you know, just had me wondering, um, like when, when was it decided that Albertans are just these functional one dimensional idiots? Like I, I, I'm just quite surprised that given how much conservatives should know their heartland of voters, um, you know, Aaron O'Toole produces a piece that I just kind of thought, Oh boy, I'm going to have to buy therapy in bulk. I think. Um, for those who uh, are unaware, if you were not on Twitter for the last, uh, I would say, 48 hours to 72 hours, here's the good opening. for you. <laughs> good for you. But here is the opening segment of that video of Aaron O'Toole produced. Uh, hey, I'm in Alberta. This is Alberta, a magnificent province that is rich in resources from agriculture to energy to innovation but even richer in its people, people that have come here to work hard, to have success, to help others. This is a place where you get things done. It's a getter done province. And since 1967, Albertans have contributed $600 billion to the Canadian Federation. That's money for hospitals. That's money for schools. There's I would play the entire thing, but it is cringeworthy to say the least. Um, PR, 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 as two people in the PR realm of uh, the world, um, every politician who decides to come to Alberta seems to want to put a giant Stetson on their head and say, hey, I have a cowboy hat, everyone. What was your initial thought? I'm, <laughs> I'm like uh, you. I'm like you. Well, a, you know, a couple of things. First of all, those khakis. Sorry. Are those khakis? So campaign 101 is pretty straightforward and that is that don't put a candidate in a position to look unnaturally 
uh, to look unnatural or unnaturally different from from who they are. And that's what this asset does, which does not serve him at all. It makes him into a character of himself and it makes Albertans into a character of of or a trope of what people think that we are. Um, I think. You know, this is largely to the disadvantage of, I think, Kenny. I think Kenny and Kenny's resources and assets have a responsibility to say that Alberta is young, entrepreneurial, hardworking, um, but we're also, you know, cultured, educated, driven, passionate people about a whole lot of things. And to say, like, uh, look at my hat. It's stampede. I just think it totally, totally diminishes like the larger goal of being able to say that I see your future momentum and I'm, I'm, I'm in lockstep with that. Um, I, I just think that this was not a time for, for a heritage moment of something ridiculous. And, and I just can't figure out where the fall points are in that because there's like really good, there's like good PR people in, in this ecosystem. And so I just really don't know what happened there. Um, but it, it, it really just, I really just think that now we're talking about this silly video and what I think we should be talking about is that, you know, conservatives provincially and federally have to turn this around. They've got an incredibly short window to do it and turning it around is just about four things. And if you listen to my podcast, conservative like me, you know that these four things are pretty clear reality therapy, being able to say like, this is not, this is not working. This is not working. This is broken. This is, this is the voices of what we're hearing. This is the adjustments that are needed. They're uncomfortable, but we have to make them great political ideas that people can really get. The second thing is great political ideas that people can really get behind. And that makes them excited to vote for your party. And it becomes less than about the caricatures and the, and the, and the people. And it becomes more about the ideas that people feel they can rally behind, that they can remember them and repeat them and feel confident to stand behind them. The third thing of course, is selling those ideas to the public in a way that, that is meaningful and, and connects to them, the, the ability to anticipate what a voting public needs before they have to tell you. And then of course, the last thing, which is, which has never been so important. And that's that the leader gives people to gives people a space to be the people that they want to be in this party. I'm often frustrated by the, by the amount of time I have to say, like, I'm, my name is Jennifer and I'm a conservative and I have to follow that by saying, don't worry, not that kind of conservative. I hate that. I hate that. It's the only political party where you have to do that. And I, I think that that's ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I do believe that conservatives provincially and federally are, are in trouble on all four of those fronts. Um, I'm digressing here, but I'm worried I won't get a chance here. I I read in the news earlier this week that there's a thought that if O'Toole fails and, and, and really the, the, the writings on the wall that he will fail, that, you know, Harper will come back in as the interim leader. And and I just, first of all, there's no possible way that can be true. But secondly, you know, that feels so quintessentially conservative that they would be some unanimous decision that the only way forward is backward. Um, Like, let's not forget. He also had his ass handed to him in a general election. He didn't choose to leave. Uh, Canadians voted for something you know, younger, bigger, bolder, and, and more vision centric. Um, you know, I, I just, um, I just think that there, there, we have to get on this idea of reality therapy, accepting that things don't work. And I think that that begins with giving a fine reputation to voter bases like Alberta, getting good political ideas and selling those ideas to the public. We're hemorrhaging time for that to occur now. And, and um, I think federally it's like the time's run out, I think for O'Toole, but I, my issuance to Kenny would be like, if you get in that big blue truck and try to pull off what you did before you're done too. 
Yeah. Don't underestimate that Albertans are very smart and, and they're not going to, they're not going to put up with this. And when I see a video of a man in khakis and a Stetson, Stetson hat saying, Hey, I know Alberta, don't worry. I see you and I hear you. I think, uh, yeah, no, hard, well, hard pass. just, just on that note, just on the, Hey, I see you. I hear you. There's a line in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, the ad that he, they produced that said, Hey, I know Alberta because I inspected pipelines 30 years ago, which made me have a callback to the provincial federal uh, provincial leaders debate where David Kahn said, hey, I'm the only leader that laid pipe just because you have worked in the oil and gas industry one day or one year does not mean, you know, the troubles of Alberta, that you know what is the issues that are facing Albertans. And I was in I was pleasantly shocked to see the lack of candidates who were with Aaron O'Toole during his very first uh, public news conference in Alberta. I think out of the many uh, MPs that they could have gotten, they pulled in five, six tops. And that shows you, and that shows me as a political observer, but as a sort of a spectator of politics, the conservatives are running away from this guy. Yeah, they really have distanced themselves. And I think that this is about, you know, you know, you know, twice bitten, quite shot, twice shy around um, around Andrew Shear, right? They co- they're coalescing around leaders that, that aren't getting to the gate. And I think you are going to see a really wide pool of, of candidates getting ready to run their leadership race. We weren't going to see Michelle Rumble Gardner standing there with him because I think she's getting ready to position a run of her own. And she's really been breaking with the party on things like residential schools and truth and reconciliation. And I think that that's all about pivoting on. And, and I mean, she's done this before. She was such a champion for, for having, um, you know, this this marriage between a man and a woman business removed from the party constitution uh, years ago. So I think you're starting to see it to see it break apart. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I again, like, as you know, I, I do conservative like me podcast with my with my father. And, and he always makes this great thing around like, is this the sound of O'Toole? Like, you know, tuning the sound of his violin because you know, the Titanic's about to go down and somebody has to tell Aaron like, Hey buddy, you haven't hit the iceberg yet. Like I just, I, I think that time is being hemorrhaged here, but I would like to see some effort made on, on his part to try. I mean, Canadians, as I, I've always said, um, the, one of the reasons why I'm such a strong advocate for a strong conservative party is because we deserve strong political parties and choice, um, regardless of, of where you identify yourself on the political spectrum. This is about the, the the dignity to Canadians as they go to the polls. Before we do move on to the provincial conservatives, I do have one last area of discussion around the federal uh, conservatives is the conserv- the federal conservatives need to know who they are. Uh, in yes. Thornhill, the riding of Thornhill in downtown Ontario, downtown Toronto, uh, the now candidate uh, Melissa Last Last Lanceman. I, I apologize if I've been pronouncing her name last name wrong, but she was canvassing with a ardent supporter of anti lockdowns, basically a lighter version of Randy Hillier. Um, Roman Barber was kicked out of the Ford caucus earlier this year for making comments against the government's lockdown and restrictions. Uh, Barber did defeat Joe Oliver, former finance minister, in uh, the nomination in 2017 before the uh, last provincial election in Ontario. But what does this say about the Conservatives where they are willing to embrace people who are anti-lockdown, anti-restrictions uh, around COVID in the era of people are concerned, people are concerned that uh, people are dying? 
So as a conservative, as a conservative like me, podcast host, how do you embrace conservatism while they don't know what conservative conservatism is, but also they don't know how to be on the right side of history? Yeah, but this is this is back to what I said earlier around this combination of reality therapy and great political ideas and how you bring those to the public. This, this is my argument here. I feel the same way about Tamara Jansen in Cloverdale Langley City out in BC, you know, with a sign on her lawn saying we need an abortion law and and and, and canvassing with anti-abortion leaders and being propped up by, you know, people who believe that Jesus should decide what's in the chair in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Like I'm well on the record that the you know the way forward is is very pragmatic for the conservative. It's about saying the government cannot scale everything and be the single employer. This is why we're having so much market dysfunction is because the market doesn't know how to participate in the Canadian economy because there's so much instability by the government to say we can do it all. It's an economic message. It's one that talks about better preparedness. It's the one that talks about, you know, mobilizing, um, you know, Canadians to have, you know, greater choice around how they want to participate in the Canadian experience and letting the rest go. They're trying to take these, you know, these cheap shots around really what I believe to be the bleed through of American style politics. And I think we will continue to hemorrhage leaders and we will continue to hemorrhage, you know, party platforms and and ridiculous conventions until we eventually get this right. And in the meantime, we're going to have layers upon layers of government who coalition together, don't play nice in the sandbox with conservatives and spend a shit ton of money on behalf Uh of Canadians. I was going to actually transition to provincial, but I do have one last area that I want to talk about polls. I know polls are not something you should look at until election day, but conservatives are in a tailspin. I know last time we talked, uh, we did say they were in a nosedive, but I think the nosedive is no longer a nosedive and they are ready for a crash. Um, The most recent poll that I saw uh, was Ledger poll. Liberals at 33 percent, conservatives at 30. Acubus had Liberals at 37, conservatives at 25, Ipsos, 38 liberals, 26 conservative nanos. And this was just the one that was a few weeks ago. There was one that just came out today. But uh, the liberals at 38, conservatives at 24, and the NDP at 20. The conservatives and the NDP should not be that close together. What is happening with the conservative vote? Are people just getting fed up and they're willing to go to the People's Party and to the Maverick Party? Or is the conservative party just a broken system that will not be fixed until they get their crap together? Well, the question is, like, what do they stand for? Yeah. Right. What do they stand for? Like, you know, Trudeau laid out a budget and he stands for, you know, you know, affordable childcare and, you know, legalization. And like you can you can list off the things, agree with them or not, of what of what a Trudeau led liberal government stands for. Even Jagmeet Singh, who I just cannot believe is still the leader of that party. Even I know what he stands for, thanks to TikTok and other ridiculous press conferences where he's far too emotional. But, but you know, you ask Aaron O'Toole, like, what do you stand for? And there's like a lot of silence. And it, it, this we've seen this play out largely in the American system. You want to talk about why Hillary Clinton didn't, didn't beat Donald Trump? It was nothing other than when people have a choice between a a bad idea and no idea at all like just the unknown where other people can fill in the gap of the air of the narrative they will choose the bad idea because it's least the devil they know and i think we're seeing that same thing repeat on this side i mean ask a conservative politician what do you stand for 
Like I ask when they come to the door, what do you stand for? And I hear like, oh, pipelines and, um, you know, holding Justin Trudeau to account. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't inspire me to the polls. It's the reason why I feel so disappointed about what's happening to the Green Party is there's never been more momentum on the on the climate piece that will bring people to the polls. Like this is the thing is so long as you lack a real political vision for leadership, you will hold people out. The other thing, the other thing I will say is that, and I, I've been really vocal about this on Twitter, is the the polling that I'm very interested in now is this anticipated voter pool. Like who are the votes that are likely or willing to move between the parties. That's what I'm interested in. And that's where I think the spread is the most dangerous is that yes, conservatives are trailing in all the polls. Of course they are. They're not, they don't have a saliable message right now. But when you look at what is the likelihood that you could be convinced to even consider listening to the message and, 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 and potentially changing your vote and you're hearing people say hard pass, that to me is, is the real tragedy about heading into this election is people saying like, I don't hear it. I don't want to hear it. I think that's, that, that's like the, that's like the technical knockout where you get punched and then you turn around and you just get sucker punched harder and you're, you're TKO after that. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show when we do talk about the federal election. But I do want to talk about daddy coming to caucus. Stephen Harper. Uh, <laughs> Stephen Harper. Dad's yes, mad. yes I, Dad's I, said, mad. I, I compared him to daddy, but daddy had to sit down with the United <laughs> Conservative Party uh, caucus earlier this week. I actually think it was probably two or three days ago. And talk about unity. We need to bring everyone together. I found a tweet by uh, former Deputy Priest. Premier of Alberta, Thomas Lukasik, who I know you just grimaced there, and I, I, I will say this, who said the last time that they had to bring in someone was Ralph Klein, bringing in Danny Williams, Premier of Newfoundland, to say caucus is united, we're great, hey, we need to work together, and we all remember what happened, the Wild Rose fraction started, and we now we split. Um, a, Stephen Harper being brought in is a big deal, no matter who you are or where you're from. What did this say to you as the conservative in the room to say, uh-oh, things are going wrong in UCP land? Um, well, it's also about Ren being welcomed back in. Which we'll talk uh, which, about here in a few seconds. And I, <laughs> oh, like, I'm ready. I think it's one-two punch there. But, uh, you know, I think it tells me that um, there's more mobilization for fracture than there than we probably think. Um, I, I think that I had always believed that there was some ground game. I thought we would see far more Wild Rose independence movement after Drew Barnes's letter. Uh, we talked about this, like what's the play? Where does Brian Jean come in? Um, the fact that, you know, dads had to come home and say, okay, listen, if you kids can't get along, we're going to put you all in a timeout. I don't know what the threat of leverage was, though. Like, that's what I, I would have loved to have been in that room. I'm surprised that Derek Fildebrandt wasn't live tweeting on behalf of the Western Standard because the leaks are so real there. But um, it tells me that that it's that it's worse than we think. It's worse than we think. Um, you, you mentioned something earlier in when we were talking about discussion topics was uh, – the UCP are trying to not get that for independence. If four independents uh, yes. are sitting, then therefore they can form a caucus and they have a stronger opposition to Kenny than originally planned. Um, with Ren being taken out of the game and being bat brought back into the UCP fold, it is now a two person. And I can imagine probably by the time the election rolls around, there will probably be three. That's that's me saying that. 
what do you how do you envision the UCP moving forward? Because there is still fractures with last week's announcement that Leela here was being taken out of cabinet and just dropped the deputy leader of the party being dropped from cabinet. And now it's officially, hey, if you stand up to Jason Kenney, we're taking you out. Mm hmm. And the minister of the status of women is now a man, which that bites. That bites. But if you're a a conservative insider, a provincial conservative (laughs) insider, you will say, well, the associate minister of the status of women is a woman. Yeah. Yikes. For for there being so many initiatives to get women into politics. That's that's sucks. That sucks. But um, okay, So, okay, What do I what do I think for Kenny? Listen, same. Second verse, same as the first. This is about, you know, we've got to get some real ideas. We've got to have some, we've got to have some political ideas. We've got to have some teeth that are some ideas that the Wild Rose Independence Party, as it's being formed, you know, in the shadow of the darkness um, of the crust of the earth is being created, um, you know, ideas that they will like. I, I just think that the only way forward is not going to be veneer. Like, like I would like to see it this is me being a PR person now. I would like to see a commercial where Kenny just is in a field and he just lights that blue truck on fire and it just burns and he just goes, we're going to do better. Like, what would that say to Albertans that was just like, let's just, or he flips the keys to someone who, you know, has been disenfranchised for two years who voted for him and has, you know, lost their courage and probably their farm and just flips in the keys and says, here, take it. I'm going to do better. Like, I just would, I would like to see just this, just this pivotal reboot to say, okay, ideas coming the way forward. I think that's why I'm so disappointed with these ballot questions, these referendum questions that are coming from the, from the provincial government is that I think that they missed again, an opportunity for boldness and that, that, that bot, that disappoints me as a conservative. Uh, let's talk about the big elephant in the room. Earlier this week, a member of the independent, well, an independent MLA was brought back into the fold. Lesser Slave Lake uh, MLA Pat Wren was brought back in after back in January being turfed from caucus. Kenny announcing that he would no longer be able to run for the UCP. But hey, we had letters letters of support, which I still do not have the names of who. who who wrote a letter to the caucus or to the premier about bringing Pat Wren back in. I can probably name a few as someone from the lesser slave Lake riding. Uh, but let, 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 let's dive into Pat Wren for a second. For those who don't remember, he was one of the few that went to Mexico during the winter holiday as everything was locked down. The town of Slave Lake then came out with a nasty letter saying, hey, we want Pat Wren to resign. We want better representation here in the, the area. But also, we don't believe you're doing a, a service to us, but also to the riding, to the government, because you don't even live in the riding. You live down in Red Deer as the accusations went, so on and so forth. Uh, I can tell you, and I know this firsthand, Pat Wren was not Jason Kenney's first choice to be uh, the MLA in that riding. Um, They had approached a few municipal politicians, one being named in a... uh, News article earlier this week, uh, Mayor of Slave Lake Tyler Warman did come out and say, hey, we weren't aware of what was happening. We were shocked like you were, which uh, as someone who used to work for the town of Slave Lake, I can say 
I would agree with that, but I don't agree with that because of the connections that the council has with the UCP. A member of the council is a strong supporter in the Constituents Association of the Lesser Slave Lake UCP, but also his father was, if I'm not mistaken, still is, the financial agent for the United Conservative Party of Alberta. So if the left hand is not telling the right hand what they're doing, I I, I hardly believe that, and I hardly believe that Tyler and council were unaware, if not all of them, if not just Tyler, was unaware that this was happening. Tyler has not made his intentions known if he's going to run for mayor again. He's been a three-term mayor of the town of Slave Lake, and he is looking for bigger. What's his next step? He will say to the end of the earth probably that he has not made the decision to run or not, but... I highly, highly suspect that you will see his name on the nomination ballot for the UCP. Jason Kenney has to come out and say if Pat Wren is able to run for the nomination. I I want to say they'll allow it because they brought him back into the fold. And with anyone who's brought back into the fold, you can probably do that. Or, hey, if you are brought into the back into the fold, you are not running for re-election. That probably was told. So I there are so many unknowns to this story that the council and politicians up in Slave Lake are not telling us that I would be highly suspect to know that Pat Wren's brought back yet again into caucus was because of the, the, the four independent MLAs, but also... Oh, for sure. Why, why the council <laughs> who called for his resignation wasn't uh, called or even given a heads up. I I do not believe that happened. I believe that there is more to this story and council needs to be more upfront and more transparent about this because I guarantee you after Pat Wren was kicked out of caucus, council probably got all the phone numbers for the premier for the cabinet ministers and if someone didn't give them a heads up hey we're no we know you're pissed off about pat wren but he's being brought back into the fold that phone call probably happened i'm more than willing to say 95 percent sure that it happened that's here that's my hmm. statement on that whole issue <clears throat> look at look at you spilling all the lesser slave lake tea look at you look at you um you know i my thought would be um, yeah, I, if there's a if there's a if they're fading, you know, d- d- shock and it's not there, that's that's their thing. My thought would be that when you're in crisis mode, you act very unilaterally. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you make unilateral decisions, when you're in a crisis, no consultation required, he couldn't have that many independents sitting. Not when there's that much volatility, not when the former prime minister has to come and say, uh, hi, team. Can you what's going on here? Like, I don't know if they were just like in a room doing trust falls or whatever they're doing, but like they there has to be. I, I yeah, I yeah. OK, I'm with you, Chris. Well, I, the, the the when the press release came out, they said, hey, members of the uh, the Constituents Association and Lesser Slave River, Lesser Slave Lake came out in support. There are people on council who are members of that constituents association. You are telling me right here, right now, that you did not know these letters were being drafted (coughs) and sent to the premier. I am calling bullshit on that. And I would love to sit down with any member of council who wants to come on the show and tell me who are members of the UCP to say, hey, I did not know about this. 
bull. If you're saying you don't know about it, then I got to ask the question. What don't you know that's happening in your own town? Whoa. This is real. <laughs> this is getting real. This is live. Don't forget, I'm, this is live, people. I'm throwing bombs you're fired there. up. And if they want to come on the show to address these, I would be happy to have them. I know they probably won't with my history with them, but I would love to have them on the show to talk about it. But oh, anyway. come on, Lesser Slave Lake Town Council. Come on. Come on, chat with me. Um, so <laughs> the provincial government, the provincial UCP have two years to rectify a sinking ship. Do they have the ability to yes. do that under Jason Kenney? Because there have been reports, and this goes ties back into our federal conservative, there have been reports that Jason Kenney is gearing up for a run for the leadership of the conservatives once Aaron O'Toole fails. Do you think they have the chance? And do you believe that Aaron, uh, Jason Kenney will jump ship and go to the federal conservatives? You know, um, a year and a half ago, I would have said, absolutely, that's the plan all along, right? Uh, ride into Alberta, save Alberta, and then ride right back into the PM seat. He is a federalist. You see it when he talks about, you know, a relationship with Quebec and, you know, what's what's right for Alberta and in, in the Constitution. Um you know, he's, he's a federalist. He's a, he's a federalist. And, and we have felt the consequences of that since the day he became the premier of this, uh, of this province. That said, I do believe that there is a lot of people in this province who are terrified of what a, another Notley mandate will look like, um, that it is simply not affordable. Um, so I, but is it affordable under the UCP? <laughs> You know, a, a lot of for a lot of people, the conservative ideals, you know, run deep. And what my concern is more than, you know, two bad choices at the polls is a province that needs leadership that is met with a populace of voter apathy. That's what I'm worried about the most is that people are just going to say, like, I don't want the pain of having to stand at the ballot box. I don't I don't know what to do. Um, so I'm just going to stay home and and hate my government and 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 take to tw take to Twitter. I mean, I'm I'm so sh like I know that I know that the this province is not is not Twitter, but my god, we're Albertans eating each other alive politically on that on that uh, platform. And again, now this is the third verse, same as the first. This is happening because we don't have boldness in the right places and political ideas that inspire the population. And so you've got, you know, you've got two years to figure that out. Again, why I'm so disappointed about what these ballot questions um, were put forward. Which uh, I was going to jump into our next segment, but we are talking about ballots. So let's talk about the upcoming referendums. Um, yes. I, yesterday, last night, probably about four o'clock in the afternoon, Jason, or yet uh, earlier, I, I don't know the exact timing, but Jason Kenney came out with his press conference. Here are the issues that are going to be on the ballot come October 18th, aka the municipal election. We are going to be talking about, which I still don't understand why it's even an issue and they can't just make up the decision for themselves, daylight savings time. Should we move to one standard time or keep with daylight savings time? To the equalization question, uh, giving Jason Kenney, quote unquote, a stronger hand to uh, come to the federal government and say we need to address the equalization payments from Alberta to uh, the rest of the country. Two issues that are not on the ballot, which I'm highly surprised are not on the ballot, CPP and Alberta Police. 
We need to consultate more. We need to talk about it more. We need to do more research. That tells me, as a former uh, person in politics, someone who worked in uh, provincial politics and municipal politics, it tells me that they know they were heading to a defeat on both of those issues. Uh, let's talk about it. What were your initial thoughts on the two questions that were on the ballot or going to be on the ballot and the two questions that weren't go- are not going to be on the ballot? You know, I, I love that we come from two different political stripes and yet our notes on this are strikingly similar because I have a lot of the same here. Um, but yeah, okay, so equalization, this referendum on equalization doesn't make sense. And trust me when I say that I've done the groundwork here. We can't change it. And it's a fool's errand to, tr- to try. And it, and it comes back down to this 1982 uh, constitution piece. If a province wants to challenge a piece in 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 the constitution to say, like, I, I want to use the clause that says this does not work for my province, um, the government, the federal government has to say, like, yeah, you can unilaterally change it because it doesn't affect you. Right. We saw it once in Newfoundland and once in PEI, they wanted to make changes and they were like, yeah, this is just localized to you. So don't worry about it. We see Quebec trying to do it now with with becoming unilingual. They're saying this doesn't really affect anybody else. And I think you know, people will challenge that to say, whoa, 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 whoa. It does actually affect other people and other people, provinces trying to do business there and, and all those other pieces. Equalization doesn't just affect Alberta, obviously. It affects all these other provinces. And so what I think is it's incredibly disingenuous to do this to Alberta, to Albertans, to give them the thought over the veneer that they have an opportunity to have a voice to say, I want equalization to be revisited or revoked or whatever. And then, you know, of course, people are unilaterally going to say like, yeah, I want to keep more, I want to keep more money in my province. And then what's going to happen is the federal government's going to say, well, this isn't the way it works, right? Like, I, I, I just think it's, it is, it is, you know, completely ridiculous. If we want to address the money that is leaving this province, then we absolutely should have addressed things like interprovincial transfers. And I encourage every single person listening to this podcast to go to the University of Calgary content uh, website and for $75, the best $75 you will spend, Trevor Tome, who I think is the best statistician in this country, will walk you through this idea of interprovincial travel transfers and equalization. And they will show why it is so complicated and why it always comes back to how we're young, we're enterprising, we work harder, we, you know, we, you know, we wait we make more money. And, and that's the quintessential thing that we need to, we need to re-equalize. You know, Trudeau is absolutely right. And that stings to say when he says, like, you know, Kenny was part of putting this putting this equalization uh, formula in place. I think Kenny even knows this is a fool's errand. And, you know, what even provides compliment to that is that it's backed into a second ridiculous ballot question around daylight savings time. Daylight savings should be adjudicated based on science, mental wellness, and energy efficiency. Like I, in in the words of my very, very good friend, Ryan, GTFO, like absolutely GTFO with this. This is so ridiculous. And then I had in, I had in my notes, like, it's important to remember that the, the 2019 campaign promise was we want to put forward referendum questions that ask the question, how can Alberta... Ast- you know, exert more independence. Yet there's no question on the Canada pension plan becoming an Alberta pension plan and an Alberta police force, which are two great examples of how Alberta can exactly assert its own independence and and start making decisions and investments and keeping money here in a way that that makes more sense. Um, 
Well, just on that yeah. note, I, I love the fact that the person who was in charge with the task force of going around the, uh, the province talking to Albertans about this is now an independent MLA, Drew Barnes. <laughs> ah, of course, of course. <clears throat> but the, oh, go ahead. No, I just don't want to I just don't want to lose the momentum on, on the comparison between Quebec, which is, you know, Kenny offers this quote. In, in his original thought around these referendums, what it does is elevate Alberta's fight for fairness to the top of the national agenda in a sense to take a page out of Quebec's playbook. And I think that talk about quotes that don't vest well over time, because this is. Oh, I feel like Dwight Schrute, like false. This is false. Because if we wanted to take a page out of the Quebec playbook, then every Alberta-based MP should have voted against Bill 96 because it was not in Alberta's best interest to support nationhood for one province and not assert nationhood for itself in Alberta. The other piece is that the minute that the Supreme Court legitimized the carbon tax, we should have announced a cap and trade agreement that that was our climate-based solution. And the fact that we didn't tells me that we're not taking a page out of the Quebec playbook. We're just fooling around. And that that really drives me crazy. And then of course there's this Senate thing on top of it. Like should Senate, should the Senate, yes, of course, senators should be elected, but this is a federal issue. And this is something that would be great to see Aaron O'Toole fighting for, for the West to say, this is about proportional representation at multiple levels of, of where we make the laws. And the fact that like that's being adjudicated by Kenny, it's just so everybody's in the wrong spot, right? It's, it's, Okay. Well, just just okay, just now. On I, that now I'm mad. Yeah. <laughs> hey, at least we have two <laughs> things that we both can be mad at. I, I just want to talk about Aaron O'Toole and the Senate. He did come out uh, after uh, probably about I think probably about a month ago, and he said, "Hey, if other provinces want to follow the direction of Alberta, the federal government will pay for those elections. Why not make it a, across the board?" Why not change the Constitution and elect senators? I know it I would totally be agree. hard to open up the Constitution because there will be a lot of things that people will want, but you have to take risks sometimes. And sometimes you have to say, you know what? We're opening it up. We're going to come back to the table. It's been 40 some odd years since the Constitution was written. It's time to relook at it before it turns 50. And if we need to make changes, let's make changes. But let's do it all at once and stop going, I want this from my province, but it's not constitutionally appropriate. I want this from my province. Let's bring all the big people to the table and have the discussion finally. Track changes. <coughs> Time to open up the track, open up the track changes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think an issue that a lot of Canadians could get behind would be the idea that we elect senators. We don't appoint them at a time when we're so concerned about, you know, where the, where the trust and confidence for government is so low. Uh, I mean, I was looking at the the latest numbers from Edelman PR, who who does such a good job of of measuring trust. You know. People in this country are skeptical about about, you know, political oversight and, and, and political control and the ability to say, like, listen, let's move to an electoral system for senators. You know, it's I think the majority of Canadians would be surprised to know that senators are not elected, that they're picked. So yeah. I I think that there's an opportunity there, but it's being seized by the wrong 
<laughs> he's seized by the wrong yeah. stakeholders. Um, uh, for those who are watching, we do have a few uh, listeners and watchers right now. Uh, this is the cross-border interview ballot box with Jennifer Sanford and myself. Uh, we are discussing the top political news stories of the week. Uh, we are going to quickly, quickly, because I'm just looking at time here, quickly talk about Anime Paul. Uh, the Green Party seems to have completely imploded upon itself. And I'm going to quote... And yet again, I I can't believe I'm going to do this. I'm just going to pull it up here. I'm going to quote Rex Murphy. Rex Murphy. Oh, whoa. (laughs) Rex Murphy of the National Ladies Uh, and gentlemen, this is the third headless horseman of the apocalypse. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, He hit the hammer on the head when in his article, uh, Greens adopt a climate of cruelty in self-destructive attack on party leader. They are... Biting the hand that is going to potentially win the next a uh, few more seats in the next election, the Green Party is completely uh, in a void in itself. Uh, there have been reports that the Green Party executive want to revoke the membership to the Green Party for Anime Paul, which I can't believe that's even being said. Uh, there's uh, reports that the Green Party executive want to withdraw money from the leader's uh, riding, which hypothetically every leader gets money because the leader is never in the riding so they need more money so they need more money from the federal uh, federal executive um if this is the track record that is going to be the green party the green party is about to go down in historic defeat they had three in the last election seats uh they have two now i can potentially even see them going down to one or none and if that's the case the liberals and the NDP are going to be vying for that environmental vote as as fast as you bloody well believe it's going to happen. And 7% can mean a majority or a minority government. Uh, what's your opinion on what's happening with the Green Party? Well, you know, this is a game of what do we know to be true, right? We know that if you pull her membership, she can't be the leader because it's clearly stated in their constitution that members must be first and foremost a member in good standing. Right. Yeah. The leader must be a member in good standing. This is this is such a disappointing turn of events. I mean, Paul, I've, I've said this, I, you know, things we know to be true. Paul was never electable, which was going to be an issue for for the party. Uh, but this this turn of events, this this game playing what's happening now um, is is not just beneath the party. I think we focus there too easily. It is beneath the people that vote green and who financially support them. People who write a check for that party. This is, this is disrespectful to those Canadians. Um, you know, the timing of this is so terrible um, because th- such a great political opportunity is being thwarted here. The climate issue brings young people that 18 to 24 that little precious gold voters it brings them to the polls it physically brings them from the ideation of politics the wearing the shirts the tweeting out it physically brings them to the polls on voting day and i think you're going to see a groundswell of the liberal party being able to just soak up that groundswell and then i think be really disingenuous with it let's not forget the you know i'm going to build a i'm going to plant a billion trees 
and and it's like you know writing a paper the night before it's due like i i've planted none um and 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 yet so i really do believe that you know when a, when an environment minister like Catherine mckenna is like i need to leave the government to do good climate work you have a party that says good things about climate but actually can't get the policy there and i think that the greens were on such a trajectory of such a strong policy book uh on green issues and they really gave a lot of canadians a place to belong and they really i think they were such an important fabric of our party system. Um, I, I do want to know, just, I, uh, jump in there for a second because uh, you, you did say that Anne Paul wasn't electable. I think she is electable, might not be in Toronto Centre, maybe out in British Columbia. But as a political move, it's a big political risk to run in a downtown Toronto riding after. <laughs> seeing election after election, especially in a riding that the Liberals have held since, I think, since Confederation, even during the 80s in the Mulroney sweep. But of um, course, Annie Paul is a strong person. I think she would be electable in a riding that is not in Ontario, might be out in B.C., maybe. But do we but do we honestly think do we honestly think she was going to go out to B.C. and try? I mean, she was asked that question. Yeah, but Jagmeet Singh said and was vocal to say, I know that I can, my best chances in Burnaby. I never heard Paul say, I'm, I'm going out to BC because this is where my people are. When I had her on the show, I did ask her that question, and she said that uh, it would be up to the executive to decide. But she, oh come on, yeah, it would be up to the executive. Which, as of as Mm -mm. we see reports after reports, it's up to her because she is the leader. I do want to just uh, touch on just touch last two seconds on this, and then we'll trade uh, transition into our next segment. But um, greens are they done? Uh, no, they'll hold on to one seat. Elizabeth May. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Now let's talk about the one of the biggest news stories since uh, the start of this pandemic back in March. Recovery and vaccine passports. Uh, (laughs) Since the uh, pandemic started, there has been reports of, hey, how do we get people or I guess since the vaccines have been rolling out, how do we ensure safe travel? Uh, How do we ensure safe transition of uh, uh, transportation throughout the world, but also here in Canada? One of the areas is vaccine passports. I know there's a gentleman in Calgary who is actively trying to promote the vaccine passport that he has created. But uh, we had reports today or earlier this week that New Brunswick, Alberta and Ontario will not will not force or introduce a vax a domestic, I should say, a domestic passport like Quebec is doing. This has caused some people on Twitter, and yet again, you you hit the hammer on the ha- nail right uh, when you said Twitter is not government. It is not the social construct of our world, but it seems to be the thing that people talk about a lot. Twitter has gone crazy saying we do need uh, vaccine passports. Some say we don't because it infringes on our rights to free travel. What is your opinion on the vaccine passports domestic? And then we will talk about uh, international here in a few minutes. 
<clears throat> I don't care about a domestic passport. I, do, I, I don't. Um, what I care about is the international piece. So let's 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 focus Let, there. But let's let's jump uh, into that I, one then. Yeah, let's just jump. I don't care about the domestic piece. I care about the international piece because this says a lot about what Canada thinks of itself. Okay. So I. Uh, so I'll just do for a brief uh, introduction on this one. Uh, earlier this year, the G7 summit, there was talks about a, how do we get people traveling again? Is there a potential of a vac, uh, international vaccine passport? Uh, Justin Trudeau announced earlier this year that, hey, uh, earlier, actually, I think it was in May or beginning of June that, hey, we are looking into the idea of a vaccine passport. Uh, there have been reports literally as of yesterday that we are potentially opening up the border to the United States for anyone who has two vaccines to enter Canada or and uh, Canadians to enter the United States who have two vaccines. Does the vaccine passport, uh, is, is that included with that? Who knows? But what is your opinion on international vaccine passports? Okay, like it's not about us. Like, like other countries are going to set a standard and then we're going to be chasing that at a time when we've waited so long to travel. And then we have this other hiccup because, you know, like, and, and, and delineating it to the provinces is ridiculous. Like I'm going to land at some foreign place and go, I'm from Alberta. And they're going to go, what the hell is Alberta? And I'm going to have to explain that it's a province within a country. And they're going to go like, why isn't there just a Canadian thing? You all have a passport. Like, I just don't understand why there's not some sticker or something that it doesn't have to be part of my data. It's just something that is created by the same people that print our counterfeit non-counterfeit money that can be put in my passport. I go to, down to the Harry Hayes building and show my two little pieces of paper and they just put the stamp on and away we go. Like, I just don't understand. This is going to be so ridiculous. You're going to hear Canadians on the phone with embassies being like, they're not letting me in because they don't know what Alberta is. They don't know what Nova Scotia is like this is so ridiculous it was a national vaccine program it should be and this should have been decided at the same time we were rolling out like all those people standing around because the procurement was delayed reappropriate them into a task force to figure this out we can do this but I mean like I have to tell you that I was vaccinated at a mass vac site for my first dose and then I was vaccinated for my second dose at a just at a pharmacy and my pharmacy <laughs> confirmation letter looks fake. It looks fake. My name isn't spelt right. It just says document one at the top. Like it looks like it came off my home printer. Like it doesn't look real at all. And as you know, like I'm about to travel and I have to travel through a couple of European borders here and there is no way. There is absolutely no way that I'm not going to have trouble at, at at least one of these checkpoints trying to prove that this is valid documentation. And the fact that I couldn't have just, you know, shown my two things to a government person who could verify or call. Uh, I mean, and, and now, of course, we're starting to hear that, you know, Shoppers Drug Mart is is issuing, you know, the, the pieces of paper, but then it's not being put in the system so that then when people go to check the Alberta Health Services system, I mean, anyone who is vaccinated at a Shoppers Drug Mart has a responsibility to check their health records to make sure that the, val that the vaccination certification is actually in there. Um, I mean, this is just ridiculous. It's a national vaccine program. We need a national vaccine, just like 
emblem, something, some piece of flair that says that we did this. Well, and then there are reports uh, of people who are beginning to travel, uh, whether it be down in the States or here in Canada to, let's say, Barbados. And the only reason I say this is because I read this article last night where a couple going on their honeymoon was traveling, getting ready to travel, and they were stopped because they had their documentation, but the country that they were heading to did did not recognize the mixing of vaccines. So they had one vaccine in the first and then one at the second. (laughs) So now that is the other hoop that they have to jump. We have to jump through when it comes to vaccine passports. How do we ensure that people can travel anywhere, even with the federal government recommending that you can mix the vaccines? Because if you got the AstraZeneca first, you might not have gotten it the second time because they didn't, they took it off the shelf. So that is another area that I think the federal government needs to address quickly before September, before we start potentially opening up the uh, borders to America, because Americans are probably going to be in the same boat. Hey, we don't want you here because you had two of the different vaccines and we don't recognize two different ones in one person. Yeah, this is a diplomatic issue for sure. Yeah. 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 So (laughs) now let's transition into uh, our second last segment. And earlier this month or earlier this year, actually earlier this month, I think, uh, the Assembly of First Nations elected their new chief, Roseanne Archibald of of a First Nations in Ontario has become the first woman to serve as the national chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Within, I would say, days, if not hours after that election, uh, there were reports of allegations of bullying and harassments against Chief Roseanne Archibald that were leaked to the media. Uh, Archibald has said that in her wisdom and as the new chief, she would implement a new whistleblower policy at the Assembly of First Nations. I'm just making sure I get all my notes so that way the people who don't know this story, because I I was relatively unknow, uh, unsure about this one, uh, there were no like actual allegations in the report. Uh, there was no concrete. There was just, hey, there's these, these are the things that we're uh, accusing the chief of. The report says that when Archibald was made aware of the investigation, she posted a public letter dated in February of this year that stated, and I quote, it is clear to me that I continue to be a target of the Assembly of First Nations resulting from advancing the Chiefs of Ontario resolutions, seeking an independent financial review of the Assembly of First Nations. The hostile environment at the Assembly of First Nations has negatively impacted my ability to feel safe when working on the Assembly of First Nations Executive Committee. That's a loaded quote. And then the quote continued on, and I just want to read this before I ask you the follow-up here, Jennifer. Instead, what has taken place is an effort to discredit, humiliate, shame, and dehumanize me. I have decided that I will not participate in this attempt to sideline the concerns of the Ontario Chiefs, unquote, when it comes to financial transparency. Quote, the concerns raised by the CAO around the financial irregularities at the Assembly of First Nations are serious and legitimate issues that ought to be addressed. Unquote. This is a massive leak that the new media has picked up on. Um, when you originally uh, addressed the issue to me, you compared uh, the new chief Archibald to our former governor general. 
What's your thoughts on what's happening with Chief Archibald there? Just Miss Sanford. Well, I, I think I asked the question, like, is she the new Julie Payette? Like, are we going to have, are we going to have problems? I'm actually watching this quite closely because it really remains to be seen if she's, you know, the saint or the sinner here. Um, I'm, I'm always skeptical whether it comes from a man or woman or otherwise, when a statement of, of, of people coming forward to say that they feel persecuted at work is met with you're persecuted. I'm persecuted. I always get nervous when, when that's the messaging out, um, was, was all of this, was this two, was this quarter of a million dollar report, um, that was commissioned. I mean, it's important to remember that a preliminary investigator looked at these allegations and deemed them to be credible. And then a second investigator reviewed it and released a report in May. We've never seen that May report. So, I mean, there's a lot that remains to be seen as they continue to say that it's an HR matter and it's a legal matter. I found that the chief was very defensive on, on the CBC when she was asked to address this. I, I can imagine some of that is relatable because, you know, she is in her brand new role. This is her first national interview um, in this position. And, and, and she's being asked about, about these allegations. Was this an attempt um, to, to, to silence her and, and, and to make her into a villain uh, because she was asking difficult questions about the financial visibility of the organization? You know, we know that she has a difficult and cantankerous leadership um, with the outgoing chief. Um, so was, was this part of a, a coalesce? Um, I mean, it's it's clear that she wasn't the the outstanding leader sh- choice. I've been calling her the Andrew Shear choice because it took her fi- it took them five rounds to pick her as 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 the ballot winner. Um, and and so there isn't you know universal buy in of, of her as the leader. It's sort of the Andrew Shear like you're the last man that made it standing. And well, we all know how that, that ended for him. And, and just on that note, it's the enemy Paul of the Green Party, right? Because they went to yeah. ballots. And yeah, that's true. While while the party executive was more in favor of Annamie Paul, uh, Demetrius Lascaris, who came in second and was leading on two of the ballots, uh, would be considered a more fighter when it comes to the Israel-Palestinian conflict that is going on. But back to uh, Chief Archibald, I... I don't know where this ends because I was shocked that the re- the the leak, quote unquote leak, came out within hours of her being elected. If someone wanted to do this and hurt her chances of being elected, they would have done it before the balloting took place, but they did it after. What does that say to you as a, a Canadian, but also how politics is working in even the First Nations communities? Well, you know, this is the thing, right? Like, I would defer my answer to the First Nations community. I mean, at a time where you need strong representation, strong leadership, somebody who's going to be incredibly aggressive in what truth and reconciliation mean as independent ideas and as a together movement, someone who's going to have a real vision of of progress with the prime minister. I mean, there's never been a more important light on what the First Nations, the Indigenous communities want to do um, about their their position in Canada and and their their you know their legacy of how they're going to honor some pretty atrocious things that have happened here and to see that this is more infighting I mean I mean you know I have a podcast coming out next week where where I'm trying to adjudicate this idea of infighting in the Conservative Party, infighting in the federal Conservative Party, infighting at the AFN, infighting now at the Green Party. Like what are we doing? And we're fighting each other as citizens. Like what is going on here? And and 
And I'll be really interested to see how Chief Archibald is going to adjudicate this. And 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 I am looking for very, very, very comprehensive and fair reporting on what is really going on inside the AFN. I am too. I'm just cautious of time here, and we're about we're we're at the hour mark. But I do want to talk about uh, two last issues. One, uh, we were going to talk about General Vance, but I think we'll have to wait till next week about that one. But the yeah, biggest news sure. stories that is come out in the last week uh, when it comes to, uh, I would say, private investigators, <laughs> is a man by the name of John Carpe. Uh, the former president of the Justice Center uh, for Constitutional uh, Freedoms and the former Alberta director of the Canadian Taxpayers. Earlier this week, uh, it was announced that Carpe had hired a private investigator to surveil a Manitoba judge presiding over a case the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms had brought forward in front of them. Uh, the board of directors said that uh, Carpe would be on a indefinite period of leave and said that no member of the board, which yet again, I'm going back to that municipal conversation. If you don't know what's happening, then are you really they sure? Knew. Yeah, they knew. No member of the board had been consulted about the decision to hide ha- or had any prior knowledge of the investigation. What is going on and when did it become OK to hire private investigators to try? follow judges like what is going on this feels like a really terrible made for tv movie like with candace cameron beret as the i just i don't i don't i'm so i'm so disappointed because i know that this is only going to be viewed through a lens of this is conservatism right like it's just gonna that that's just that's going to roll right down that hill. And it's so disappointing. I mean, it just cheapens everything. Conservatives currently are in an uphill battle. You know, we have to be impeccable with our word. And there's so much stigma applied to what conservatism is that for John Carpe and the board and the organization to engage in this is so ridiculous. So ridiculous. I think there should be charges laid for this kind of ridiculousness. I think that this must count as, you know, some sort of a suppression or something i don't know i don't I, these are moments where i wish i was a lawyer and not a pr idiot but um this just doesn't help and 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 what i feel it takes away from is that i really do believe now i don't i don't go i don't go to church my my views on religion are, are well documented in, in the podcast that i have you're welcome to have a look i got a lot of angry mail in bulk um and I, I don't know if people listening or, or you go to church, but the idea of, of what does happen in a global pandemic around how do you take away people's place of worship um, does deserve its day in court. It is a constitutional issue and we do have to look at it. We do have to figure this out because if we ever have something like this happen again, you know, we have a responsibility as a nation to know what the rules of the road were. Um I've heard some really thought-provoking voices on this, everything from safety and security, everything to loss, everything to, you know, it expressed through, you know, rights and freedom. I've seen it from a personal, you know, wellness and perspective. I've heard it all. And it really did did deserve its opportunity as a legal issue to play out. And, And now this is the dialogue. Now this is the dialogue, is one man's crusade against ridiculousness will go to no 
excuse me, we'll go to no lengths to like that. It just cheapens the whole issue. And, and now I, you know, I, I want to hold the conservative leadership and movement to account here because John Carpe will now go underground, but he'll keep moving. Where does he poke his head up? Is it going to be the Manning Foundation now called the Canada Strong and Free? Like, is he now going to get a platform to talk about what he did and why it was right? Because he certainly tried to pro- provide a defense for his actions in his statement when he talked about, you know, doing what he did. I've never seen someone like Ryan Jasperson so furious as to try to adjudicate this issue. He read John Carpe's entire statement uh, where he tried to defend himself. And and it really was garbage. I, I share Ryan's ire about that. But, you know, conservative circles now need to say that boy needs a timeout. That boy needs a timeout. When we look at who speaks for conservatism right now, it's not going to be crazy. It's not going to be crazy. We're not going to have that. And and I'm I'm really putting it out there to, to, to conservative leaders that have the opportunity to give him a little bit of a platform. Don't. Don't. That boy needs a timeout. I think he will be, you will see his name a few times in a online publication called The Western Standard. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. As, Don't uh, do it. Don't do it, Derek. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, this story is not ending here and it's probably going to be discussed a few more times on the show and uh, what happens with John is going to be felt for years to come because like you said if you start giving platforms to people like this then it's going to be an interesting fall from grace whoever gives the platform to them Yeah. Um, but we are almost out of time and I want to talk about one last thing. Follow the money. Follow the money to the election. You and I have a friendly wager uh, of a steak dinner. Actually, we have two steak dinners, but we'll talk about the other one in a later episode. But this steak dinner at a Ward 10 or Ward 5 or Ward 9, sorry, restaurant is yes. around when the election is going to be called. You say... Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure I got the right here. You say that it's actually <laughs> after September 16th because that's the pension date for re-elect- September 11th. September 11th, sorry. September 11th of uh, the pensions will be kicked in for those who have been re-elected to six years as a uh, MP. I disagree yeah, 90, with- 90 liberal MPs. 23 of whom are ministers will have a pension on the line if you call this election before September 11th. Yeah. That it's, and they they all say, this is, I love this. They all are like, we're not focused on that. We're focused on democracy in Ottawa. And I'm like, you are not. Follow the money. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Welcome to the Calgary Stampede. That's bull. And I, I just, yeah. So I think it's going to be after after September 11th. I think you got to get kids back in school and then it's going to be like, hey, oh, here we go. Which I disagree with. I believe that the election will be called in August. And the only reason I say that is while it's great that you can worry about pensions, the middle of an election, you do not want funding for COVID-19 relief that is going out to millions of Canadians to be cut off midstream. This mm, is why I compelling. think... Uh, Monday is the installation of our new governor general. Two weeks later, you will see Justin Trudeau back in Ottawa because there are reports that the Liberal Party is recalling all of its party uh, staffers to Ottawa to run a campaign. Yes, that is that is making me nervous. I'll be super <laughs> honest that I read that and thought, oh, God, oh, God, I think I'm but I don't know. I don't know. 90 liberal MPs with a pension on the line. Yeek. I don't think so. 
I think 90 uh, liberal MPs with a pension on the line looks worse if you decide to do that just for that reason. But I could be wrong. I, I like I said, I have a steak dinner riding on this, and I I highly suspect that we will be in election by uh, the second week of August. I think I've actually got the date on it, August eleventh. I'm predicting that we will probably go into a poll, and then we will probably go into the actual ballot box the the week at the weekend or Monday before all the funding for COVID nineteen dries up. Yeah, I I think people will be asking about COVID-19 funding. I think he's got to make a decision there. And I think you've totally missed the other piece, which is that the border is not open. And people are getting mad about it. But if you say, hey, we've already started leaking reports that it's going to be open in early September, middle of a campaign, people can start traveling free will, people are be able to start going down to Vegas and watch Celine Dion on the Rio whatever stage she's at, but <laughs> is Celine Dion coming to Edmonton? I, I um know. don't forget you open you don't forget you open the border though and people leave and they can't issue their thanks in a vote. But if you make the advance voting date the weekend before that. Oh, my God. Who optics, votes advance? Come on. Optics, come on. Uh, if you I don't want. know. I, Chris, I, I just I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I know you are. I'm just not convinced. Hey, we but. one of us will be wrong and one of us will be right. <laughs> <laughs> With that, though, we are uh, I, I want to thank you. This has been a fun live stream for the viewers who are still watching. We've had about three to five concurrent hey. watchers. We have about 17 who have actually tuned into the show. So we are growing our audience. Yay on YouTube. But I want to thank See, you. See, so Mom, much for- I finally made it. Woo! <laughs> Jesperson, Woo. watch out. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a blast and I've uh, enjoyed picking your brain, but also debating some of the tough issues that have happened in the last week. I look forward to doing it again soon. I will see you next Friday at eight o'clock Mountain Standard Time for another edition of The Ballot Box. Thanks so much and have yourself an excellent rest of the day. And for to my listeners, hit the subscribe button. I got to do this uh, great extra. Hit the subscribe button. The link to Jennifer's uh, podcast will be in the show notes. And also, if you haven't already, go follow her uh, on Twitter. Her link to Twitter will be also there as well. And follow us as well. I guess I should be plugging myself as well. <laughs> With that, yes, have but yourself, me first. Yeah, there you go. With that, have yourself an excellent rest of the day and enjoy your weekend, Canada and Calgary. Mm.